0: Open your Bibles, please, to 2 Timothy chapter 3. I'm at the end of week 2 in a class that I'm taking for my master's degree, a theology class. It's an online class, which means we are assigned things to read at the beginning of the week and have a couple of books and we have a lot of notes and then we get questions from the professor and uh, we have to respond to the questions. There's uh, three questions, and we have to respond to each one of them, a certain number of words, and then we have to respond to the responses. Um, I think, ideally, the professor wants to stir up a little little discussion slash controversy to uh, get us uh, talking amongst ourselves to defend what we believe and to define what we believe very clearly. And so so that process goes on through the week, and then the next week we start over with a new uh, um, or another part of the topic and so on. It's a little frustrating to me because the professor doesn't come out and say, well, you got it right and you got it wrong. I'm one of those people who wants to get it right, and I want to work to get it right. And, and so what I'm learning is that online education is, uh, as much as it's about the content, it's also about the thought process and thinking things through and, and uh, trying to uh, communicate and to explain. Um, high school algebra was that way. In high school algebra, they give you all the answers at the end of the book, the answer for all the problems in, in the whole book. And the teacher doesn't care if you get the answer right. He wants you to think through the process. God doesn't make us guess about what the answers are or the processes we need to go through in order to follow him. He spells it right out for us. We've been looking the last couple of weeks in 2 Timothy 3 at the danger that exists for us as Christians, the danger of false teachers and of false Christianity or false doctrine, This week, as we continue on in this chapter, he's going to say, now look, I've been telling you that there's some bad things out there and to avoid it. Now I'm going to tell you how to do that. Here's what you need to do if you're going to avoid false teaching and false teachers. Please follow as I read from 2 Timothy chapter 3. I'm going to read the first part of the passage and then also the part that we'll consider today. Starting in verse 1, But know this, in the last days perilous times will come. For of this sort are those who creep into households and make captives of gullible women, loaded down with sins, led away by various lusts, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now, as Janes and Jambres resisted Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds disapproved concerning the faith, but they will progress no further, for their folly will be manifest to all, as theirs was also. But you... You have carefully followed my doctrine, my manner of life, my purpose, my faith, my long suffering, love, perseverance, persecutions, afflictions, which happened to me at Antioch and Iconium and Lystra. What persecutions I endured, and out of them all, the Lord delivered me. Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. But evil men and impostors will grow worse and worse deceiving and being deceived but you must continue in the things that you have learned and been assured of knowing from whom you have learned them the first part of this passage spells out what false doctrine is and what a false teacher is like and he says turn away from that but in the second part of the passage starting in verse 10 he says turn toward something and what he says to turn toward is people who are walking with the lord We, if we're going to be strong in the Lord, we have to know who to follow as much as we have to know who to turn away from. And when we ask the question, who should we follow in the Christian life? The first part of the answer here is follow people who teach the truth. In verse 10, he says, Timothy, you have carefully followed my doctrine. Now we... We could take a jaundiced eye and look at this and say the apostle Paul had his own personal doctrine. And Timothy was his own personal disciple. And he's saying, Now, Timothy, you know the things that I have taught you, and you should stay in that. That's not what he's saying at all. What he's saying is, You know the things that I've taught, and you know where they came from. He talks about that in Galatians chapter 1. He says this I marvel that you're turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is really not a different gospel, but there are some who trouble you and they want to pervert or harm the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than that which we have preached to you, let him be accursed. As we've said before, so now I say again, if anybody preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. For do I now persuade men or God? Do I seek to please men? For if I still pleased men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. But I make known to you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. For neither I received it from men nor was I taught it, but it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former conduct in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. How do we know that Paul's teaching was true and right for Timothy and us to follow? The first thing I would suggest to you is this. Paul's teaching was 180 degrees away from what he used to believe before he encountered Christ. He was walking down a path, going in a certain direction because of what he thought was right. And when God got a hold of him and Christ forgave his sins... He turned and went the other direction and began to preach and teach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul's teaching not only was the opposite of his old way of life, but his teaching was consistent with the Old Testament. Everything in the gospel we preach is consistent with that Old Testament that was around for hundreds of years before the Apostle Paul came on the scene and has been obviously many hundreds of years since then. Paul's teaching was also consistent with the teaching of Jesus. Paul did not say anything that contradicted what Christ said. Paul's teaching also did not bring him personal gain. In fact, what he said here um, in the previous part of this scripture, he said, am I trying to please men? If the Apostle Paul was trying to gather a crowd and to make people happy with him in order to gain money or fame or position, he would not have preached the truth that he did preach. The only reason he preached the gospel of Christ was because it was true and it was right, and it was the only gospel there was for him. And the word of God that we preach from, that the apostle Paul preached from, has stayed constant and consistent for 1,900 years. There is no significant disagreement among anybody about whether or not this is the Bible that was given 1,900 years ago. There is no significant disagreement about the core truth of evangelical faith in Christ. It has been consistent for 1,900 years. When somebody pops up with a radical teaching, a red flag should pop up in your mind and should go, Wait a minute. I need to check this out by the truth that I know. If you don't, you will be a weak believer. Weak believers run after every new fad because it sounds good and looks good rather than saying, wait a minute, this guy says he's got something new. Let's check in the word of God and see what it says. The Apostle Paul says, now Timothy, I've been telling you that there's going to be false teachers. They're going to be here. There will be new ones next year and in 10 years and so on. But they're going to be here. They're going to be here. They're going to be here. But you have to cling to the truth of God if you're going to be strong. We need to follow people who are teaching the truth. The second thing we need to understand about who we should follow as Christians is we should follow people who live the truth that they preach. Look again at at 2 Timothy 3.10. He says, Timothy, you have carefully followed my doctrine and my manner of life. Now, think for a minute what this means when Paul said this. He's not saying, Timothy, you've you've watched me walk around out there. He's saying, Timothy, you know my life. How close were Timothy and Paul? Uh, Timothy... (laughs) Timothy just didn't see Paul once in a while. They actually lived together and traveled together and served the Lord together. There was significant time and relationship spent there. Those of you who are, who are not new today uh, have, would say that you know me. You see me every Sunday. Some of you see me in the office between Sundays. Some of you see me where I exercise at the gym. Some of you see me at McDonald's. Some of you see me at Costco or Hagen. Some of you see me at the hospital when I go to visit people. Based on the times that you've seen me, you'd say you know me to one degree or another. Jim Hively and I spent almost 24-7, you know, day in, day out for seven days traveling to Greece and back. He got to know me in a way that some of you probably will be glad that you did not get to know me. (laughs) He got to know me kind of like a wife but she's the only one here who really knows me because we've been living together for 33 years. Okay, The Apostle Paul is saying, Timothy, you know me. And he didn't just know him as a distant figure. They lived together for weeks and months at a time and served together. They walked literally down the road together. They, Timothy was there helping him while he was doing the ministry. He knew him. And the Apostle Paul says, you want to be a strong Christian? Make sure the people that you follow are people you know are living the word of God. Years ago, we saw a preacher and his wife named Jim and Tammy Faye Baker on the Praise the Lord television show. And many people thought they knew them. Now, now I believe Jim Baker is today living what appears to be a truly godly life. Okay? Okay. And I take that from things he's written and things that I've seen him say. But by his own pen and by the writings of other people who knew him in the day, there was a great difference between the public persona and the private life. When he was running the PTL network and building his Christian resort park, he was not teaching God's truth. Neither was he living God's truth, and so when when this whole thing blew up and we saw an extremely lavish lifestyle, even thousands of dollars spent on a doghouse, we should not have been surprised because he wasn't teaching the truth to begin with. We shouldn't have been surprised about the affair and the hush money and the divorce and so on and a ministry left in tatters. Because we did not know him. We saw him, but we did not know him. And I would counsel you today to make sure you are following people you know. If you can't know their life, you should be very careful about what degree of followership you invest in them. Remember those who rule over you. This is talking about in the church with the elders And the people, he says, remember those who have spoken the word of God to you, whose faith follow, considering the outcome of their conduct. Now, I know, is this this something easy to preach, to stand up here? Because I am not today suggesting that I am the perfect example. And I'm not suggesting that we have any perfect examples here. What I am suggesting is we need to be very careful about how much followership we invest in anybody. The truth is, many of us follow people that are not even in the church. And we follow them for one reason or another. We admire them for one reason or another. God says, do you want to be a strong Christian? Make sure you're following somebody who preaches the truth, teaches the truth, believes the truth, and lives the truth because the the way that they lead you will be the way in which you want to go. Thirdly, he says, we need to follow people who follow God's purpose. You have carefully followed my doctrine, my manner of life, and my purpose. What was the purpose of Paul's life? Well, I think this sums it up. According to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed... But with all boldness, as always, so now Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. What is the purpose that guides the life of those people who you admire and who you follow? Where are they going? What are they accomplishing? Most importantly, are they accomplishing what God wants accomplished in the world today? God doesn't say aim your life at being important or influential or being rich or anything like that. He says aim your life at serving. I heard the mother of a, of a man who was running for political office one time say, us Christians have to be powerful in this world in which we live. And I thought, really? It seems like Jesus said we need to be servants. Are we following people that really have Christ as their purpose? The people whom we follow should be intent on living their life to honor Christ. And that chiefly happens, The per, living out that purpose chiefly happens in three ways. Personal godliness, serving the body of Christ, and making disciples. Is that what their life is about? Is it about personal godliness, serving the body of Christ, and making disciples? They might have a job here or a job there or a career this or a career that, but the question is, What is the guiding purpose in their life? Number four, follow people who are sincere believers. He says, you have carefully followed my doctrine, my manner of life, my purpose, my faith. Probably better understood, we would translate it faithfulness. You understand what I believe and how sincere I am in in carrying out that belief. Am I a real believer or a phony? The reality of a person's faith in Christ is demonstrated in private, quiet moments when they are speaking and living from their heart. Anyone can get up and share a prepared speech. Almost anyone. But not everyone can be, so well, not everyone is sincere, I can't remember if I was leading singing or if I was just sitting on the platform one Sunday, and our, our church in, in, at Nooksack was maybe twice this long, and here come a family walking down the aisle, a man and a woman and two kids, and he was dressed in kind of a Johnny Carson suit, kind of a country western suit with a, a ribbon tie, not a bolo tie, but a ribbon tie, carrying his western style hat under his arm. And they came right down and sat right about on the second row, right in this neighborhood somewhere. And I could hear them singing. And boy, they were singing. And they're brand new in our church, you know. And and, uh, that's all I knew. And that week our pastor got together with them. And and he told about his education and his experience and how he was going to open a counseling practice and was essentially asking for the church's endorsement and so on. And his wife and his kids and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And he was talking all about it. And our pastor kind of smelled a rat. And that was back in the days before the internet. Today it would have been easier to do this. But he remembered some facts. And he went home and wrote them down. And he got on the phone. This guy had mentioned where he went to school in, in Texas. And so they started doing research. And as the whole story came out, he was not married to the woman he was with. Those were her children, but not his she was, not, she was divorced from her husband and was not supposed to be out of the state with those kids. He was not divorced from his wife, and this was the second woman he'd had an affair with in a church. He'd been a pastor of a church, and somehow somebody took him back in after he had an affair, and he had another one with this woman. And this guy is presenting himself as a mature Christian who's going to open a counseling practice, and so on and so forth, and he was just a phony. I mean, I don't know whether he knew the Lord, or not only the Lord knows that, but he presented himself completely different than the reality was. Follow people who are sincere believers. Private conduct should equal public claim in their life. Number five, we need to follow people who live patiently. Paul says, You have followed my manner of life, my purpose, my long-suffering. And he's not talking about suffering physically. He'll get to that in a minute. This is the word that's sometimes translated patience, but it's often translated long-suffering, and and it literally means to have a long temper or to, to, to be patient as you work things through. Why is patience such a virtue for God in Christians? It's because of this. God is patient. With the Lord, one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slack or slow concerning his promises, as some count slackness, but he is patient toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. How long does it take to win somebody to Christ? Is it like that? Has that been your experience, that the first time you ever tell somebody about Jesus, they always respond? Or does it take days or weeks or months? How long does it take to see a person become mature in Christ? How long does it take for a congregation to become mature in Christ? How long does it take for people to change and grow? How long... Do you want others to stay with you in this process we call discipleship? Some people who appear to us to be powerful are attractive because of everything they get done. They're powerful. Boy, they are shakers and movers. But they leave a trail of broken lives because of impatience. So then, my beloved brethren, let everyone be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. We need to follow those who patiently make disciples. Number six, we need to follow those who lay down their own lives. Look at verse 10 again, please. You have followed my doctrine, my manner of life, my purpose, my faith, my long-suffering, my love. Uh, You know, love could be the banner over this whole verse. There's different ways we could look at it. I've just chosen to put it very simply. Like Jesus said, there's no greater love than a man lay down his life for his friends. And so to say, am I following somebody who really lays down their life for other people? That's the simple definition of love. Philippians 2 puts it similarly. Let nothing be done through selfish or self-centered ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind. Let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Self-centered people are everywhere, but truly giving people are rare. Number seven, we need to follow people who don't give up. Look at verse 10. You followed my patience, my love, my perseverance. My perseverance. I love to start new projects. I was given a knife kit for my birthday. That's about like when I called up a friend to ask some advice on doing electrical work, and I told him I was going to put in a 220 circuit. And the first thing he said was, ooh, because he was afraid for what would happen. And yet my own children gave me a knife kit. So I guess they have faith in me at least a little bit. It's got got the wood handles. It's got the the piece of metal. It's got the little little brass to drive through the middle. And got to glue it together and shape it and so on. And and it's it's a cool present. I'm really happy to have received it. And my birthday last May, um, I thought, you know, if I'm really going to do this right, I need a tool. And so I went to Grizzly talk to my good friend Dennis Beeman. He hooked me up with you know one of those vertical sanders so you can go sh- like that and it'll sand it right down smooth. So I got that tool out in the garage. I don't even have the tool put together yet. The knife is sitting in a box up on the uh, right up there on the on top of the freezer, you know, in the uh, in the garage. I got the tool right there. You know, maybe maybe tomorrow. Who knows? I'll uh, I'll, I'll put that thing together and I'll start working on, you know. I mean, I love to start things. I really do. Uh, I started working on my backyard this last year. Maybe next year it'll get done, you know. It's easy to start something and it's hard to follow through, especially when there's real difficulty in a task. And when it comes to Christianity, there are forces opposing us. We're trying to walk forward in Christ and they are pushing back. And we think, oh, I'm excited to start my life in the Lord. And we start walking and then we get some pushback from a friend at work who doesn't like the Lord or or from some idea that's passed around and it pushes back on us. And we need to be looking for people to follow who persevere. The word persevere could better be translated endure. They don't give up. They keep going forward. What reasons might Paul have had for giving up? The Apostle Paul. How about this? Low financial support. Being run out of town under threat of his life. Being beaten and then run out of town. Criticism by Christians in churches that he started. Accusations by false Christian teachers. The burden of men's souls. The burden of Christians not getting along. And all of these things pressed on the Apostle Paul, and he kept going forward, kept going forward, kept going forward. He persevered. He endured. And those are the people we need to look at and say, that's the kind of person I'm going to follow, because they know something about not giving up in the Christian life. knew some people one time, years ago, talked to a former pastor about them, and he said, those people can only live for the Lord for about six months at a time, and then they need to have a little break. And he was right. I don't quite understand. There's no such thing as a vacation from the Christian life. I might go on a vacation, take a day off and sleep in, but I don't stop living for the Lord. I've got to keep going forward. Number eight, follow people who don't give in. Giving up to difficulty, giving in to persecutions. Verse 11, he says, You have followed my persecutions and afflictions that happened to me, and he names three different places. One of the places he names, Lystra, was Timothy's hometown. And those others are places around there. And when Timothy started in the ministry, that would have been the area they were around. And Timothy would have been well aware of the persecution that the Apostle Paul suffered. In my prayer today, I prayed for some pastors. We, We know of two pastors specifically in jail under threat of hanging They've been condemned to be hanged, let's put it that way, and they're appealing their conviction because they live in a country in which it's illegal to convert from one religion to Christianity. And I'm purposefully not using the details because this is going to be posted on the Internet. Okay, If you want the details, you can talk to me afterwards. The Apostle Paul lived that way. He lived under threat of death. Now, after many days were passed, the Jews plotted to kill him <laughs> what's it like living under that pressure have you ever had somebody say I'm gonna kill you and they meant it or, or, or they got a group of people together and they said uh, we're having a meeting here and just figuring out how we're gonna kill you, you no know, we think, it's just crazy but that's that's how it happened and then look what went on later Then the Jews from Antioch and Iconium came there and having persuaded the multitude, they they talked up the crowd, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. Can you imagine being stoned? I mean, here's this crowd of people and they picked up rocks and they aren't picking up little rocks, they're picking up good rocks that'll whack you in the head. And they stone you. And then when they think you're dead, they drag you out of town and they leave you there. Now, can you imagine waking up from that? Can you imagine getting up? I I, I thought about this week. Did the Lord let him get up healed? Or just healed enough? But can you imagine getting up from that? And can you imagine being Timothy over here going, Dude, you're getting up from that? Now, can you imagine dusting yourself off, saying, where's my Bible? I got work to do. That's perseverance. What does it take to shut you down as a Christian? He uses the word persecution. He also uses the word affliction. That's just talking of... Persecution is specifically when people were coming against him physically... For his faith, the word affliction is just just general hardship is what he's talking about. Paul was shipwrecked. He was hungry. He lived out of a suitcase. I mean, I don't even know if he carried extra stuff with him, but figuratively he lived out of a suitcase most of his life. But what was his attitude? Look at his attitude here. You know the persecutions I endured, verse 11, and out of them all the Lord delivered me. Do You know what he's saying? He's he's almost at the end of his life and he's looking back. He says, Timothy, you know all those things that happened. Here I am. These people tried to kill me. In fact, they thought they did. Here I am. Now, if if we understand this right in this scenario, within a few days or weeks or months, he was killed for his faith. But the point is, you know, all of these things that happened, how many Christians way back here would have went, oh, this is too hard. It's too hard. I'm just going to have to stop. The Apostle Paul kept going through this thing and that thing and this thing and that thing, and he never stopped. He never stopped until they did kill him. That is perseverance. <laughs> and, and he says, Timothy, you know that that's how I lived. That's the kind of Christian we need to follow, not the kind that gives in easily and quickly and sits on their hands because it's just a little too tough to follow the Lord. Number nine, we need to be following people who are settled In Christ. I hope you can catch what I'm trying to say. I couldn't think of the word that settled in Christ was the best I could come up with. Would you look at me at at, at verse 12? Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. But evil men and impostors will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But you must continue. The Apostle Paul knew the words of Jesus, in which Jesus said, look, you're going to be persecuted for me. That's going to happen. He knew the words of Jesus that said, there will be false teachers. And, uh, and yet, he was, he was so grounded in Christ, built on the foundation of Christ, settled down into who Christ is and who Christ wanted him to be, that nothing shook him. Now he had hardship, he had difficulty, he had things that he wanted to change, and they didn't change, but nothing moved him off this foundation. He was settled into Christ. I I think of the experience of, of Peter and John. And when they agreed with him, and when they had called for the apostles and beaten them, they commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus, and they let them go. So they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. And daily in the temple and in every house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. Why did they do that? They did it because they knew persecution was going to come. The lesson that we've already learned is just because I'm persecuted doesn't mean there's something wrong with me. It means there's something wrong with you. And so that's not going to shake me. The persecution comes and it's hard to bear. That's not going to shake me because Christ said it was going to be there. It's easy to scream and cry and run around in a circle when opposition or persecution or hardship comes along. But it takes a man or woman who is settled in Christ to stand their ground and even advance under fire. You know, I've showed you pictures before of men who have won the Medal of Valor in combat. And almost every one of those stories goes something like this. They're taking heavy fire, and in the midst of heavy fire, they see a fallen comrade, and so what do they do? They pick up their gun, and they go forward under heavy fire because there's something they have to get done. The apostles were under heavy fire all the time. Us, just once in a while. And yet, how often do we keep going forward and how often are we set back on our heels? <sighs> Have you seen the bumper sticker? Don't follow me, I'm lost too. At one time, a police officer told me to follow him, and he would lead me to a place that I needed to go to, to do some chaplain work. And I followed him and followed him and came to the end of it, and he got out of his car and he went, I don't know where we are. Literally. I won't tell you what jurisdiction he worked for, but it was the largest one in the state, so I could not figure that out. Don't follow me, I'm lost too. Who are you following today? Who are you following? Obviously, one of the great applications of this sermon is to say, I need to make sure that Jesus Christ is front and center in front of my eyes. Because he doesn't move. He doesn't change. He doesn't give up. And then when it comes to human examples that I'm looking to, I need to take a good hard look and make sure they're basing their life here and their life shows that. The Apostle Paul made this statement that challenges us all as examples in Christ. He said to the Corinthians, You imitate me while I imitate Christ. That's the greatest challenge I think there could be to those of us who know Christ today, to say, are we living in such a way that we could say to somebody, You follow me, and I'm going to be following the Lord, and you'll be okay because we're going to be both going this way. Heavenly Father, help us to be those kind of examples. Oh, help us to stop making excuses. Help us to stop letting ourselves off the hook. Help us to stop giving up when things are difficult. Help us to realize there are other people who need to be following us while we follow the Lord. Perhaps there's someone here today, Father, who needs to believe in Christ the first time and... Become a child of God. Help them to to somehow grasp that truth today and to make that decision. Do your work among us, I pray in Christ's name, amen.